Welcome to the Action Hour. My name is Jesse Simpson, and I believe there's never been a better time in the history of the world to be alive. I'm on a mission to bring you the insights, ideas, and inspiration you need to uncover your greatness and take action on your dreams. If you want to start a business, write a book, take a big trip, or level up to a higher state of living in the world, mentally, physically, spiritually, or financially, the stories found in this show will provide the action steps and energy you need to succeed. No matter what you are going through or where you've been, you can at any time break that cycle and transform your life. This show is going to show you how to do it. If you've got the itch to act, now is the time. Allow the inspiring stories within this show to serve as your guide. This is the Action Hour. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome, guys. Thanks for tuning in. This is going to be episode three. My name is Jesse Simpson. I am your host. And we are on this journey to now. I'm sharing my story. This is going to be part three. And we we left off. I had just proposed to my fiance in front of the Eiffel Tower in Paris, France. A dream come true. It was was magical. Um, And I'm going to talk about what it was like to be abroad for 10 months, but then come home and really face what I was maybe running from my entire life or what I was avoiding my entire life and what that really felt like. After I proposed to Jessica, we had the most incredible time. My sister was there. We went out to to dinner. It was such a beautiful, we ate dinner in the Eiffel Tower. It was beautiful. Our server, no bullshit, his name was Magic and he was amazing. We there was a heart in the clouds, like it was a full moon. They had fireworks. I didn't even know the the Paris or the Eiffel Tower lights up like a freaking light show every night, but it does. But I had this feeling that my my trip, my time abroad was coming to an end. And I knew I had to go home. So I headed home, anxious, afraid, unsure. And what I was going home to, guys, was my brother. My brother was now getting worse. I mentioned in a previous episode that he had cancer and he was getting worse. And so I need to switch gears a little bit. And this is what's leading to the cure for cancer. Guys, my brother was a varsity pitcher on the baseball team when he was a freshman in high school. He was throwing 90 mile per hour fastballs. He was a linebacker. He was mean. He was aggressive. He was a beast. But my brother, my his freshman year in high school, after the season came to a close, he went to a doctor's office after having back pain and they found tumors throughout his abdomen. He was 14. I was seven. You know, my mom told me he had cancer. I didn't know what that meant. I was really confused. I just knew that when my, my older brother came home after his first surgery, that he was moaning in pain in his sleep. He had a huge scar, an upside down U-shaped scar across his entire abdomen. I was scared. I didn't know what was happening. I just knew my brother was in pain. My mom is sad. You know, here's, here's my mom. The year before, she gets a divorce from my dad. She has to quit her job as an oncology nurse to open up a childcare to provide for her four kids. And now, boom, she gets hit again. Her 
oldest son has cancer. I can imagine what she's going through, what she's thinking as she looks at my brother and then thinks back on her time as an oncology nurse. This disease that takes people out is just landed in her lap in her own son, my brother. My brother was a hard ass, so he didn't really give a shit. He was angry. He was mean. He was aggressive. And he kept moving forward. Actually, when he was 16, he started to cultivate this love for cars and he got a Make-A-Wish. The Make-A-Wish Foundation gave my brother a, a red Dodge Camaro. It was beautiful. He souped it up, put some speakers in it, drove it around. Probably the coolest kid in school, for sure. But this cancer kept eating away at him. When he was 18, it came back and it moved over to his pancreas. See, pancreatic cancer takes most people out in the first six months. I remember as a young boy, my mom told me that my brother had a 5% chance of surviving. A 5% chance of surviving. Why? Like, why is this happening? But my brother kept moving forward. He started to really show up after he graduated high school, got a job, started to really show up in his community, in the company that he was working for, and really started to stand out. He was running triathlons. He loved his dog named Chloe. He was just a good man. He was always helping people fix their car. He'd get pissed at you if you, he fixed your car, and then you went behind his back and got it fixed somewhere else. He was a good man. He had a huge heart. But he lived in pain his entire life. Deep physical pain. I saw my brother struggle his entire life for as long as I can remember. I remember one time he was saying that he was taking 30 hydrocodone a day. If you or I took that many hydrocodone today, we would die. But he was so in it. He had been developing such a high tolerance because he had such a high pain because the tumors were spreading now that he was popping them like freaking candy. He still couldn't sleep, but he, he started to show up. He started to volunteer. And he spent countless hours volunteering with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, with the Special Olympics. He was a mentor for a man with Down syndrome. He was do- doing all this work with people with developmental disabilities. He truly lived a life for others, but the cancer kept going in. It kept growing inside of him. It was now moving over onto his diaphragm, up and down his spine. It got into his lymph nodes. And man, here we are like 20 years. It's been a roller coaster ride of like, holy shit, buckle up. Is Josh going to die? Is he going to live? What is he still doing here? Is this the last time? We literally had no idea what to do. Doctors were dumbfounded. They are clueless. Because he was supposed to die when he was 18. 5% chance of surviving. He's an anomaly. There's something special. Something different is happening here. And he kept moving forward. Why? Well, I'm going to tell you why here in a little bit. And I think it's important to tune into this message. Because no matter what you're going through, what what someone has said you are, what diagnosis you've been given or, or, or label you've been given, my brother would never let those labels or diagnoses or prognoses hold him down from living his life and doing it in service of other people. But my brother did it with this disease fueling him. 
It was always there. It became his thing. He always had cancer since he was 14 years old. Ups and downs, highs and lows, sure. But it was always there. It was always nagging at him. One time he came down to visit me in Arizona and he just laid on the couch the entire time with a heating pad on his back and an ice pack on his liver because he was, he was in such deep pain. When he talked to you, he talked like this. As if the wind was always knocked out of him because he was in such deep pain. This tumor on his diaphragm. I remember on that trip, one time we went outside and he was talking. There was this, he was up for a trial drug treatment. This trial drug that was what it was, it was a nerve block that was going to be put in his spine and it was going to sever the nerve connections from his chest down. So he couldn't feel anything in his diaphragm, in his back, where he was feeling such deep pain, where he had to take 30 hydrocodone in a day. And Josh was hesitant to do this. He had tried all kinds of things and I felt like, although he didn't say this, I felt like that if he were to take this on and shut off the pain that had been with him for two decades, that it would be like a sign of him giving up. Like the cancer has won. And I just got that feeling from him. But I didn't want to see my brother struggle for any more time. I didn't want to see my brother so in pain that he couldn't get off the couch. I know he wasn't sleeping well. I know he was in such deep pain that no one could even understand. And I know that time and time again, he has been shit on by life, but he kept moving forward. Now, my brother, after that trip, about a month later, he actually did take on that trial treatment, the nerve block, and it didn't work. Once again, he was let down by the system by life. And I can't imagine, he would never say, he would never complain, but I can't imagine what that would do. He goes out there, he's going to try this, maybe no more pain, he could sleep, but it's another letdown. But he did not let it stop him from living his life. Living his life to be in service of these kids who he felt were less fortunate than him, to be born with these developmental disabilities. He continued to volunteer. He continued to show up, smile, and serve. Day after day, when you didn't think he had it in him to get out of bed. But he smiled, he showed up, and he served. Josh was stubborn as hell. And so about a year later, when I did decide to leave all my life behind in Arizona, I sold my stuff. I went and traveled the world. My brother, he didn't really say much. He was just there, a presence. And I remember though, he started to get worse. And again, it's this roller coaster ride. Like, what does that even mean? Is he's getting worse or is he getting better? Here we are 20 years later. What's going to happen? Complete confusion. No idea what's really actually happening because no one can actually tell us the truth. Josh was super secretive. He didn't really talk about it. Didn't talk about his feelings. Didn't really go there. Always, people are always pressuring him to keep him updated. I don't think he wanted to let anybody or have anybody worry about him. So he's always just keeping things to himself. Never know if he's going to an appointment. Just so much 
so much unknown, so much uncertainty. But I heard though, when I was traveling, I ended up leaving and, and then in November of, of 2018, we were in Peru and I heard that my brother was put on hospice and I saw a picture of him the, the, the month before and he was just so skinny, he lost so much weight. And I was like, shit. And I kind of, we just, we just left the country. We were in the second country now, but this is the start of our trip. And I was like, do I need to go home and say goodbye to my brother? But it was so confusing because he had been doing this for so long. Like if we go back, then who knows if he's actually going to die, you know, I want to be there. But like, we've literally been doing this for so long. We never knew what we were actually supposed to do. It was so confusing. And I remember I messaged my brother and said, Josh, I heard you on hospice now. And that concerns me a bit. And I just asked, can you tell me if there are any updates? He said, I'm fine. I'll tell you if there are any updates. And I said, I appreciate that. I'm reading the WhatsApp message right here. I said, you're my brother. So if you're going to die, I'd like to know so I can come home and see you. And Josh, stubborn as hell, said, I'm not going to fucking die. (laughs) I said, good. Me either. I love you. He said, I love you too. So we kept on our trip. We finished off with that engagement in Paris, headed back home. And I remember flying back into Arizona and just feeling changed. Something was different about me. The world around me was brighter. I knew something had shifted deep inside of me, but I had to go home to Iowa. I had to see my family. I had to see my brother. So I got back there and I remember seeing my brother for the first time. His face was sunken in, his arms put two fingers out right now. And that's how big his upper arm, his biceps were. He looked like a concentration camp victim, but it wasn't a concentration camp. It was his life, how he'd been living for 22 years. But I knew this was different. I knew that someone who looked like that didn't have a lot of life left in them. But he was still working. Not long after I got back, he went down to the lake in Missouri. He loved going out on boats. He loved motors. He loved his car. He still had that Dodge Camaro. And he loved to get on his boat. He had all these friends down south on on the boat. And um, he went down there to help help his friends. You know, and... He came back and I remember we spent this little bit of time together, but he would never say much. Our relationship was, was challenging sometimes. We didn't really communicate that well, but it was so inspiring to see him continue to defy the odds, continue to go against what all the people outside of him were saying that he should be. He just kept moving forward. And then in... July, about a month after I was home, I got a call. It said, Jesse, we found Josh and you need to come to the hospital. See, my brother was found unresponsive in his bed on Thursday morning. He literally was at work the day before. So I went to the hospital. And my brother was completely unresponsive. He was breathing, he had a heartbeat, but no one was home. 
we moved him from the hospital to hospice and we watched as he refused to give up. His body would just not quit. He kept breathing. His heart was beating. There was still more in him to give. So we sat there for five days. And then finally on that fifth day, he took his last breath. After 22 years of battling this disease that takes most people out in the first six months, he took his last breath. We took his ashes down to that lake he loved and we set him free in that lake. It's what he wanted. He loved being on the water. He didn't want to take up any space in a cemetery. He just wanted to be free in the place where he loved. And it was so surreal because, you know, Josh had always been there. And he was my big brother. He was set free of this body who gave him so much pain for all of his life. And really, it was a relief. It was a relief because I knew my brother was no longer moaning in his sleep in pain. I knew that he no longer had to barely get out of bed or step up into his truck because he couldn't move because he had tumors up and down his spine. But this isn't some sob story. This is a story of survival. This is a story of hope. And it shows us a new way to think about and approach disease. I believe my brother survived in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds for three very specific reasons that are relevant here today. So although I might not have a cure for cancer, I think that we are asking the wrong question when we say, how do we cure cancer? See, I believe the cancer is a symptom of underlying emotional, spiritual problem. So instead of asking, how can we prevent cancer and how can we keep people from dying? We need to ask, how can we help people live? Regardless of what's going on in the outside world, regardless of what they say is going to happen inside of you, we've got to be so much less obsessed with death and prevention and disease and uncover the key to living a life open free, and fully alive. And my brother, despite all of the things that were going on in him, he continued to move forward. Now, I believe my brother's disease, his physical disease, this cancer, was a physical manifestation of emotional trauma sustained in his youth. Like me, my brother had a really troubled childhood. He was abandoned by his first father. He's my half-brother. He was then in trouble, kicked out of home as a seventh grader. And then two years later is when he got the disease. He was angry. And he should have been. Because the adult in his life let him down. He didn't have a chance. Just like me, he was kicked out, deemed a failure, at risk. Sent to go live in a new city, a new town. Try it out there, Josh. Good luck, buddy. But my brother left some key lessons that we can take away from his life journey that are relevant whether we have cancer, 
some other disease, some other label that was given to us. And number one, it's that we do not have to listen to the stories that are coming from outside of ourselves and let them affect how we feel about ourselves or what we do with our life. We can be told you're going to die in six months, but still continue to live a life for others. And that was Josh's purpose in life. He showed up, he smiled, and he served when you didn't think he had it in him to get out of his bed. He was serving others. So the the first lesson is that in order to make this world work for us, we have to realize that is it about us? It's about serving the greater good. And regardless of what's going on in your life, there is always someone out there that is less fortunate than you. There's someone a few steps back who was born in a different town or country without a father or mother. That person needs you. And if you can get over yourself for just a second and you can tap into that, you will start to set yourself free. But that isn't the only thing that we need when we're thinking about modern day illness and disease. We have to learn to treat the whole human. Doctors spent decades trying to zap off these tumors from my brother out ever looking to the deep emotional pain that he was in as a young boy, he was kicked out of his own home. And so that pain, that anger, that frustration with the system, the sadness, the feeling of being not good enough, I believe, is what eventually manifested in the physical disease that killed him. And I believe that if we can get to the root of what's really going on here and stop thinking so superficially and get to the root, get to what's unseen, get to what's a bit deeper. Hello, doctors. Hello, world. There's something bigger going on here. If we can get down there and show people the skills, the coping mechanisms they need to heal, give them the love and support that they need. Give them a reason to live life. Then we're onto something. May not be a cure to cancer, but we sure are onto something. We may not be able to prevent death, but we can show people how to live their life. And that is what my brother did. So I hope that you can take something away from this, the story, the struggle, the journey, and know that no matter what is going on in your life, you can always show up, smile, and serve. You can always find a purpose that is larger than yourself to contribute to. There is someone that's further down the road than you were, who's dealing with the struggles you used to deal with that needs your help. If you learn that you have something to give, you can start to heal yourself. That way when you die, you die fully used up fully expressed you die fully alive that is my message to you so thank you for coming on this roller coaster ride and learning about my brother Josh my hero the man who defied the odds who I'm so grateful for the lessons that I've learned from him and if this uh If this resonated with you, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Go ahead and follow me at action underscore Jesse. Send me some messages. 
Let me know what's coming up for you. Leave a review. Share the story with a friend. And never forget that each of us has the power to pick someone up when we're down. No matter what we're going through, how bad it is, we need each other, guys. That is why we are here. See you on the next episode.